This was as our pilot study with Syrian mothers was coming to a close. And as fairly mainstream researchers, methodologically speaking, in sociology, we dipped our toe into something slightly inspired by a participatory action research by um, convening a panel at that conference that included the three professors who had spearheaded the original project, a team of our RAs who had been integral into actually conducting the ethnographic uh, work. So these were graduate students across U of T who speak Arabic and were able to really be these incredible interlocutors without whom we couldn't have done this. But we also had the voices of two mothers who were very keen to be part of the research process with us. And so we had invited the mothers also to join us on this panel. And so as you would imagine, the audience was vaguely interested in what the prof said, a little bit more interested in what our RAs shared, but keenly interested in the insights from our two research uh, participants, the mothers. Mothers and migration. On today's episode of View to the U, we are hearing from Professor Netta Magbule in the Department of Sociology at U of T Mississauga, who may sound a bit familiar because she was featured last year on the podcast during our Women in Academia season. And in the spirit of International Women's Day, which falls on March 8th, I am reposting the interview with Netta because some of her research has focused on a project that specifically looks at the stress Syrian newcomer mothers face in settling in a new land. Also, with this new third season of The View to the U highlighting UTM's global perspectives, Netta discusses her research, which largely stems from her passion for sociology, but also outlines the inspiration for her book, The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans and the Everyday Politics of Race, that was inspired in part by her own experience of crossing the border at Niagara Falls when she came to Canada from the U.S. to start her academic appointment at U of T in 2013. Hello, and welcome to View to the U, an eye on UTM research. I'm Carla DeMarco at U of T Mississauga. View to the U is a monthly podcast that will feature UTM faculty members from a range of disciplines who will illuminate some of the inner workings of the science labs and enlighten the social sciences and humanities hubs at UTM. Netta Magbule is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at UTM and the U of T. Her research integrates the study of race with the study of immigration by examining settlement and discrimination-related challenges faced by Middle Eastern and North African, or MENA, heritage immigrants who settle in North America. Netta completed her BA in sociology at Smith College before earning her MA and PhD at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Prior to joining U of T in 2015, she was a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Faculty Diversity. Netta's first major project on Iranians and race in the U.S. culminated in a sole-authored book, The Limits of Whiteness, published in September 2017 by Stanford University Press. She is currently the principal investigator on a recently funded five-year Shirk Insight Grant that is a longitudinal study of integration-related stress among Syrian refugee newcomers to Toronto and Peel region. In 2018, she was also awarded the Ontario Early Researcher Award by the Ministry of Research, Innovation, and Science. My name is Netta Magbule. I am Assistant Professor of Sociology, and my work uh, broadly is at the intersection of the sociology of race and the sociology of immigration. I have a specific interest in groups from the MENA region, which is the Middle East and North Africa, who migrate to North America. And so the first project I did, which culminated in a book that came out this past September, was about 
the case of Iranians in the United States and how both at home in Iran and in America, they have been integrated as a white racial group, but wealth of evidence about their racialization and discrimination contradicts that status. And so the literature and sociology isn't quite able to account for the experiences of that group. And so my first monograph looks at some of the nuances of that case. The book is called The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans and the Everyday Politics of Race, and it's out with Stanford University Press. Throughout the course of sort of finishing up with the book, I was really lucky to be here in Canada um, for that epic federal election in 2015, where we had regime change here, and suddenly this newfound commitment to integrating 25,000 Syrian refugees by the end of that year. And so with Prime Minister Trudeau's commitment came targeted research grant uh, through SHRC and the Government of Canada for researchers from any field to do a project related to the well-being of Syrian refugee newcomers. And so myself and two colleagues in my department, Professor Ido Peng in public policy and sociology, and Dr. Melissa Milkey here at UTM campus, who's also our graduate chair, we put together a proposal and somehow got the funding. So we did a one-year pilot study of stress among Syrian newcomer mothers, and it was really cool just to get those sorts of insights directly from uh, the newcomers themselves about the things that were working and working less well in their first 12 months in Canada. So I just recently stepped up as PI on a kind of five-year longitudinal expansion of that first project, and we got both grants we went out for. We just found out about that, so it's exciting. We have about half a million dollars now, both through SHRC and also the Ontario Early Researcher Award um, to expand the project and to bring in um, mothers, teenage children as well, because surprise, surprise, the teenagers were stressing them out. <laughs> and so we can imagine that the relationship between parents and teens is fraught in even the best cases, um, but there are particular nuances to the case of refugees that actually really exacerbate that relationship. And so, yeah, we're expanding the project. And once REB and everything is settled over the summer, we are aiming to recruit and begin that study in September. At this point, we are uh, recruiting about 100 families into the study, and um, the pilot study was split between Peel Region and Toronto, um, and we're going to maintain that split because there were really interesting differences um, between the experiences of newcomers who had settled in, in many cases, right, like sort of Arab or South Asian majority neighborhoods in Mississauga or more broadly in Peel versus folks who are a bit more spread out across Toronto, and the composition of those neighborhoods was also often really different, so we want to maintain that split in the sample. Are there any findings or results that uh, you have come across over the course of your work that you have found particularly surprising? Sure, there are surprises every day in this line of work, which I think is part of why we do this, you know. But one that sticks out in my brain came from the Canadian Sociological Association, like Congress, um, last year, which was held in Toronto. This was as our pilot study with Syrian mothers was coming to a close. And as fairly, I don't know, mainstream researchers, methodologically speaking, in sociology, we dipped our toe into something slightly inspired by or resembling 
doing uh, participatory action research, which is a different kind of way of imagining the research endeavor as something that you know researchers and participants are working really collaboratively. That boundary is troubled, you know. Um, so we didn't do a full-on par type of a project, but we dipped our toe by um, convening a panel at that conference that included both um, the three professors who had spearheaded the original project, a team of our RAs who had been integral into actually conducting the ethnographic uh, work. So these were graduate students across U of T who are um, natives of the region who speak Arabic and were able to really be these incredible interlocutors without whom we couldn't have done this. But we also had the voices of two mothers. Um, There were two mothers who were very keen to flex their sociological imagination and to be part of the research process with us. And so we had invited the mothers also to join us on this panel. And so as you would imagine, the audience was like vaguely interested in what the prof said, a little bit more interested in what our RAs shared, but keenly interested in the insights from our two uh, research uh, participants, uh, the mothers. And one of the things that the moms, I mean, they were full of these incredible insights, um, but one of the things that they said, which should not have surprised me. It's like intellectually I knew it. The mom said at the same time that these professors were studying us, we were studying them and we were deriving sort of our wisdom or insights about Canada based on how we were being treated throughout this project and we were able to sort of extrapolate different hypotheses or you know um, just to, to draw conclusions about how we could project into our futures based on looking closely at these RAs and looking closely at these profs and again like that's not a gee whiz moment it shouldn't have been but for me that was very profound that really like the tables had turned and um, that this was uh, just as much their knowledge production and sort of involvement in the research as it was for us too and so uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into this particular field of study in the first place yeah, mine is a, I think, quite typical story of um, someone who goes off to university as an 18-year-old and had never heard the word sociology, but took that first class, right? And it was like worlds open to me where things that I had observed, you know, were sort of validated as patterns that were linked to structure. Um, I had a whole new vocabulary, the language to put into words, things that had often bothered me or just things that stuck out as intriguing. So that's, you know, the genesis of my whole career just was that one first sociology class that blew my mind. I think the reason why I stayed in sociology all the way throughout undergrad, through my PhD, and now in an appointment in a sociology program is I appreciate it's a broad umbrella, you know, like methodologically, substantively. I'm thrilled that one of the courses I teach at UTM, which is considered a service course, meaning it's a slog and people typically don't like to teach the class, but it's the one that renews my like passion for sociology every term, is called Logics of Social Inquiry, and it's a sort of survey course where students get a taste of everything, from demography and statistics all the way through ethnography and social network analysis, everything in between, and so just recognizing that there is this plurality of methods, these means to actually like collect data and analyze it. It just renews my passion for Soch and how it's unwieldy uh, can be troubling, but also it's its most exciting yeah. thing about it. Right. And I know though you have also an interesting story if you can talk about it, but 
for your book, Limits of Whiteness, I remember you telling me that it sort of came about when you were coming to Canada. Sure. So, you know, when I had uh, done my PhD in the U.S., and I was also born in the U.S., so all I had known was the United States, really, except for a couple semesters of travel here and there. But, you know, it had always been kind of this project that I imagined toggling between the racial ideologies and hierarchies that shape the socialization of people in Iran, who would then be the immigrants to the United States later, right? And how they enter a different racial order that sometimes have rules that map onto, but also differ dramatically at times from like the racial order that people learned back at home. And so I was still thinking of it in this sort of like binary the homeland, the host land, you know, things that transnationalism had troubled like many decades ago. But I was trapped there, like just such an ugly American, frankly, you know. And then the simple act of getting a academic appointment in a third country, like a different place. And the simple act of like crossing the border at Niagara and my own race changed where on the Canadian census, Iranians, Afghans, people from that region of the world, like Southwest Asia, technically right would occupy the category in Canada called West Asian versus in the US where Arabs, Armenians, Iranians are classified as white. And so that was like a very profound thing. Again, it shouldn't have been my like Oprah aha moment the same way (laughs) what I said about the panel we had at Congress. It's like intellectually, I had read the literature. I knew that this was a thing, but it was that embodied act of like crossing a border and the way the state made sense of or integrated me. It was different. And so that animated then all of the revision and really like the shape that the book took. The book was written entirely like in three years in Toronto. And so it was data, the ethnographic data had been collected as a graduate student, but everything from like the political philosophy of Charles Mills, right? Who has his PhD from U of T through just like so many different influences. These were my Canadian influences that really actually shaped the monograph that ended up coming out. This is a very broad question, but you know, I like to ask it because I think it could lead to lots of different answers, but what do you feel is the biggest impact of your work? I think the kind of immediate feedback I've gotten about uh, my book since it came out in September has made me feel like efficacious. I hopefully said that right, (laughs) efficacious in a way I have not yet felt in this career. Everything from when the book went online for pre-sale on Amazon and I had sort of a millennial readership begin to post, you know, photographs on social media of like I'm holding my book or going around North America speaking to a variety of communities, including university communities, but also like taking it to retirement communities of older Iranian immigrants, sort of the way that it's been read by book clubs in my community. You know, I just am like totally overwhelmed and shocked by the way it's been taken up by Iranians in Canada and in the United States. In particular, because I think in some sub-communities or subcultures, we sometimes have, and oftentimes deservedly so, a sense that people don't actually show up for you. They say they will, but they're not going to put the resources there to support you. And we sort of, I think as like artists or scholars can sometimes have an antagonistic relationship to the communities that we belong to sometimes. And so it was really one of those moments where I felt like people showed up and even folks that politically or in other ways I thought might not 
be on board with the project even though they might not agree with the claims or they try to debunk the evidence they actually like really have showed up for me and so the kind of impact I think it's made in Iranian Canadian and Iranian American spaces and you know I've had people reach out to say I really want to pursue um, like a Persian language translation so that this book begins to circulate in Iran because we have cousins or you know people that we know that really want to learn more about this or people have said would you consider recording an audiobook because my parents or grandparents don't like to read, you know? And so I've said to them, I'll read it to them over the phone. Oh. But I don't think an audiobook is in the works. Just that's been totally exciting and a kind of immediate uh, sense of, of gratification for sure. It's amazing to know that it's like resonated with that many people though. Like as you say, beyond the academic audience. Yeah, because you know, you always I think write with some audiences in mind and I think unabashedly at different points in the writing process I had prioritized this community of diasporic Iranians and there were times where I think other people in sociology either questioned that choice or wanted me to sort of pause and take stock of what I might be giving up to have made that decision but ultimately I think that it reached the audience that I actually had in mind and maybe that's not the same audience that other folks in my field more broadly are looking to write for. Yeah. And so uh, the last question I have, the discussion of promoting and supporting women in all careers is an ongoing dialogue, but I was just wondering if you have personally come across any challenges in the course of your career or if you have words of encouragement or sometimes what's been brought up in this space is is there was a mentor that sort of inspired you to continue on, any of that? Yeah, I think the, the challenges facing women in academia are connected to the challenges facing women in all career tracks. Some of the specifics uh, may be different, but uh, nonetheless, these occupations, these industries, they all were designed to promote and benefit and serve in every case, white men. Like that's all of it, and that's not specific to academia, right? And so I think at best, this career is one that tolerates queer people, it tolerates uh, women of color, but there isn't anything that I've experienced that resembles, right, a kind of acceptance, much less thriving. And so that sounds really negative or cynical, but I think that when I look across the character of women's work in a variety of fields. That's pretty much the state of affairs. And so there was just a study that came out, a report yesterday that said across sort of different occupations in the wider field of higher education, women of color make 67 cents on the dollar to what white men make. And that's across administration and faculty and staff. So collectively, 67 cents on the dollar. And so um, I think a sociologist might say, right, we could start with the material and we could actually start, right, with equity and pay. I would say uh, what has characterized the better parts of my trajectory and stark contrast to places where I struggled um, really was about cultivating a network of mentors or even like something I'll share, which was like a piece of lingo I picked up along the way since starting the job at U of T, which is cultivating a network of sponsors. And so you could think of sponsors as somewhat different than mentors. Mentors are kind of in the trenches with you, helping you through kind of the ticky-tacky of like everyday life and your job. And it's good to have more than one. You're sort of sharing the load and getting multiple perspectives, but also that it's so key in this career to have sponsors. So that's someone who sort of would vouch for you 
they have access to opportunities or networks that you don't because actually they sort of in the power structure occupy a higher position than you and so cultivating a network of sponsors as well right who aren't doing sort of the on the ground mentoring or peer mentoring with you but can sort of you know put your name forward when those little niches or those windows open up that that's key and so I realize in my trajectory the places where I had momentum and where I just felt like I had synergy between my life, my goals, my career, were these moments, right, where mentors and sponsors either revealed themselves to me or it was it was serendipity. We found one another. And then there have been times, right, throughout the career track where the mentors or even sort of peer mentoring colleagues that has felt more fraught or more frayed, those connections. Yeah, to the extent that women or other marginalized people in whatever occupation can lift one another up and find one another and cultivate those sorts of relationships, I think is really key. And so it's interesting right now as assistant professor to be stepping into a more mentoring function for um, scholars who are coming up through undergrad or graduate school, postdocs. And so right now I kind of feel like I'm in, in between. I still need some mentorship profoundly, but also I'm being asked to mentor in new ways that are really challenging and interesting too. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. I would like to thank everyone for listening to today's show. I would like to thank my guest, Netta Magbule, for telling us about her research in the Department of Sociology at U of T Mississauga. And if you would like to hear the full version of the interview that I recorded with Netta and her colleague, Jasmine Ralt, who has appointments in both the Department of Sociology and the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology, please visit our SoundCloud page for the 2018 season of Women in Academia. Thank you to the Office of the Vice Principal of Research for their support. Please consider taking a moment to rate the podcast in iTunes. It helps others find this show and feel free to get in touch with me. My contact information is on our SoundCloud page. If you have feedback or if there's someone from UTM that you'd like to see featured on View to the U in the future. Lastly, and as always, thank you to Tim Lane for his tunes and support. Thank you.